Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Barron. My handle is Harrison underscore Barron. Brutally Honest Podcast everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, all those great places. And this podcast is available on anywhere that you listen to podcasts normally. Now that's all out of the way, huge thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. I do genuinely appreciate it. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm going to be re-ramping up the podcast a lot lately. Sorry. Um, the I was pretty sick the last week. I'm a little behind on episodes. Um, but your listening should return to normal. Um, also going to be getting some new guests, some very interesting um people that i have that have not been on the show before not that there's that many returns but always looking on meeting new people and and building um interesting people to have on the show for you guys to listen to um and that's pretty much it that's all i really wanted to talk about uh if you really do enjoy the show though sharing it out or telling somebody about it is the best way for me to grow the show um and it kind of gives me more encouragement on growing and sharing the show out to people now with that all being said Hugely appreciate all of you. My guest today is a fr- is a dear friend of mine. His name is Andy Jacobs. He runs a company called Gravitas Marketing. He's also we also discussed some things on the Iron Man, uh, something that most of you probably don't know. I have a very large interest in, although I don't foresee me ever doing it. Um, still very interesting to me. So I wanted to have somebody on the show that kind of does that kind of thing. And he talks a lot about his business and and different things in the marketing world. Um, so you kind of get two different perspectives on things that I thought was very interesting. Um, and that's pretty much it. I want to stop talking now because this show is great. And I hope you guys all enjoyed as much as I did. Without any further ado, please welcome my friend Andy Jacobs. Yeah, I don't mind the cold. I uh, I like the change of seasons. Although I figure, you know, I'll get to the age where I won't anymore, and then I'll be down in Florida or yeah. somewhere warm. Uh, but in the Carolinas, North Carolina wasn't as warm as I want to. I might go, I might go further south at some point. But uh, well, here's the problem with North Carolina: floods, mudslides, hurricanes. I was I was inland. I was inland like three hours. Then it's cold. And if you're in the mountains, it's cold. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. The, uh, my friends that are there, they they said that you know the storm wasn't as bad as you know the news made it sound like. But well, there. the coast got destroyed. Oh yeah, the coast and, always uh, gets killed. And uh, but I mean it's just, it's so similar to up here, you know. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean look what's happening in California, you know. Oh my god. So I said I made a Facebook post a while ago, and it was like California looks like a great place to live when it's not on fire. And and the fires are increasing. Yes. It Be- seems like they're happening all the time. Well, now. they are now because, um, and, you know, whatever your politics are, sure. you know, when you have 10 or 20,000 scientists saying that climate change is real uh-huh. and climate change is creating this tinderbox sure. atmosphere sure. in California where the fire season is spreading way past the traditional fire season into practically all year round, mm-hmm. you know, it's dangerous. No, absolutely. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, Long Island might be expensive, but it's very rare that we get hit with much in the way of natural disasters. So yes, and even if we do, 
as long as you're like 15 minutes away from the water. Yeah. 10 minutes away from the water. Yeah, right, exactly. You, you, won't, you don't feel anything. Really. Exactly. You know, a couple yep. feet of snow, and that is the one thing I do love about Long Island. I'm like, you know, we really get pretty damn lucky with, like, everything, you know? Well, and I think that climate change will also affect um, uh, snow uh, accumulation on the island. I just think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to get less and less. Although, I don't know about this El Nino and El Nano, yep. Yep. how that works, but... I've, I just think that it's much less than it was when I was growing up. Sure. So. No, absolutely. The uh, Yeah, I'm curious to see what will happen because I feel like more so now the winters are getting colder and the summers are getting hotter. Mm-hmm. More of an extreme. Like this year, I don't even feel like we hit fall. Yeah, it went right from summer to winter. winter. Yeah, yeah it, it was like 80, 70, 40. Yep. I'm like, where was the, yeah, where was the whole month of like comfortable weather here? Yeah, no. Um, live in San Diego. <laughs> I've heard San Diego. San Diego's That's beautiful. comfortable. Have you been there? Nope, but uh. I've heard. <laughs> it's one of the few places that, that I haven't been to. Yeah, rumors are that it's nice. <laughs> or go to San Francisco in the winter time. Oh, that's nice too. Oh know. yeah, it's really nice. Have you been there? Oh, many times. Oh, okay, many right, times. San, yeah, San Diego's expensive too. Really, expensive. Yeah, everything's expensive. You know, if you don't want expensive, go live in North Carolina. I was going to say, dude, everybody there is from New York. Oh, I know. Everybody there. Yeah. I must have met at least, at least, if I met 100 people while I was there, 40% of them were from Long Island? Yeah. Um, Asheville, which is a college town, uh-huh. is very Long Island. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very, very strange. Yeah. But, uh, so, Andy, you're obviously in marketing. Mm-hmm. You're a, a friendly competitor. Um, in, in not some really. Ways. Yeah, not in really. some ways, not yeah. yeah, not not mostly. But thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. My pleasure. The uh, so I guess tell everybody what you do. I'm kind of curious to what they have to hear. I know what you do. Okay, so um, I'm kind of different from your traditional uh, marketing agency, which, by the way, is slowly but surely falling by the wayside. So I've been in this business for a long time, almost 40 years. And I've owned my own companies where I've had partners and we've had people, I've had as many as 35 people, as little as two, depending on how business was. That's how our business works. Um, and I started uh, in traditional advertising, if you ever saw Mad Men. Sure. It was something like that, sure. only a little Great farther, right, a little farther down the, um, the time scale. So uh, I started in 83. Okay. In the business, um, and uh, uh, over time, uh, I learned m- more and more about what really delivers value to clients, and uh, especially in a marketplace that has been uh, changed so drastically by technology and disrupted. And uh, what I deliver today is a is a is really the most valuable thing that a, that a business, small or large or midsize. Uh, can do for themselves from a marketing standpoint. If you think about marketing, it's defined, marketing is really defined as delivering customers so that sure. they can be closed. Sure. Whatever that customer is, um, whether you're a, uh, a B2B business or a B2C business that's looking for consumers or you are a nonprofit um, that is looking for influencers and donations and, and, uh, and things like that, um, Everyone is trying to sell something. Either it's an idea or a product or a service you're selling. Sure. And marketing is the thing that defines and delivers the prospects 
to you. That really is the essence of it. So to do that, and by the way, I love the uh, name of your podcast show, Brutally Honest, because um, in my business, there aren't enough of us that are brutally honest with our with our clients or even our prospects to maintain uh, expectations or, or to sure. create the right expectation. It's tough out there. Make no mistake, the typical American sees between seven or is exposed to between seven and eight thousand marketing messages a day. Oh my God! It's no, and that and that number keeps on increasing and increasing. So just to be able to be recognized from a mindshare standpoint is incredibly difficult, mm-hmm. and um, and then to be able to affect some sort of action by this this entity or this person that you're trying to get noticed by, that's another step. And then having them actually commit to you, thinking that you can deliver what they need, is it just, it's another step until finally you close. So if you look at a traditional sales funnel, um, it gets narrower and narrower. And today, it starts narrow Mm -hmm. and ends even narrower. So what I really deliver is I deliver um, a methodology of uh, of creating that best prospect for sales to close and um, it's a multi-layered approach that I call the five fingers of marketing and what happens is that a lot of people will gravitate to what I call the fifth finger which is touch points executions mm-hmm. you know those are the emails that's the content that goes out to market. Sure. That's social. Mm-hmm. That is um, uh, that is advertising on radio or television or cable sure. or newspaper or magazine or PR without understanding what they're delivering as defined by the four fingers prior. Sure. So if I had to, and, and, and by the way, I'm not saying that this works all the time, but this gives someone a fighting chance to succeed. Absolutely. So if you look at the at these five fingers, mm-hmm. it starts with strategy. And so I was a creative director for almost my entire career, and uh, in my last partnership, um, my business partner was in the Young Presidents Organization, and I was the associate member. And I don't know if you ever heard of the YPO, but... It's 19,000 um, uh, CEOs worldwide mm-hmm. that collectively, from what I understand, are responsible for around one-sixth of the world's GDP. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's an intense organization uh, with a lot of influence. And uh, part of the membership of being involved in that is you avail yourself of some of the best teaching in the world at the best business schools in the world. Mm-hmm. So I've taken continuing education uh, through Columbia through Harvard, through Stanford, and Yale School of Management. And so what I learned, being a creative director for the most part, and also as a small agency owner, you know, you wear all the hats, you sell, sure. you run the business, you mm-hmm. do HR. But really my goal, my, my, my function was um, being the creative director at these, at these shops that I owned. And if you don't, if, if you don't know, there's a, there's a misconception in that, most people think a creative director is an artist, but they're not. Creative directors, for the most part, are copywriters. They're concept people mm-hmm. who then direct designers and artists to actually 
create the visuals to deliver the concept. Sure. So I was a copywriter by trade and I became creative director at my own shops. But what I learned from all of this education at, uh, um, at these business schools, especially Harvard Business School, which is an incredible experience, um, is that strategy is the most creative thing that you can do for business because it is so difficult out there to differentiate, to gain traction, mm-hmm. that to understand exactly who your targets are and what motivates them, deep motivations, psychological motivations, to understand what your competitors are saying. And by the way, most American businesses, uh, their marketing is throwing as much crap up on the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing from a competitive standpoint because if you're giving it some thought, you really really have a step up. So understanding your competition, understanding trends and where your industry is going so you can avoid whatever disruption happens, and it happens a lot today, and there are horror stories left and right about that, really understanding your strategy. I'm not talking about SWAT, the old strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I mean, that's very basic. I'm talking about some a deep dive into what really makes your business tick. How do you deconstruct your business in terms of its assets, what it delivers to the marketplace, proprietary services and products, relationships, facilities, human capital, mm-hmm. things like that. How do you define your competitors in the same way? How do you define your um, your ultimate buyer of your product or service? How do you define the channel, those other people who you can sell to once so they can sell to many? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you define that? Absolutely. How do you define all of these things? That's what strategy is. If you have that, you have a firm footing in the marketplace and probably in the small and mid-market, you have a step up over all of your competitors. You know, it's funny, Harrison, but in every sector, in every geography, there are a bunch of people doing the same stuff. Sure. You know, but there's always one or two companies, organizations that are way up there and you look up at them and you say, geez, how did they get there? How did they elevate their business to that level? Sure. We deliver the same thing. I even do it better. But they understand the marketplace. Mm-hmm. They made the commitment. They understood their strategy and they started to move towards these five fingers that I'm talking about properly and efficiently and that's how they became leaders in their particular market segment and geography. It's they, yeah. they do they do nothing that's different from anybody else. So um, so once you have the strategy down, everything else falls into place. The next finger is brand. And I don't mean symbol, although symbols are very important. Sure. I'm talking about and now I'm gonna gravitate to um, to oft used uh, terminology, the four P's mm-hmm. of brand. Yeah. Which is purpose Personality, um, promise, and uh, it's a purpose, personality, promise, and uh, position. Those four things. So the purpose of your brand is the why. That's the innate desire to do whatever you're doing in the marketplace for whatever reason that's got to come through in your brand. Mm-hmm. The, um, the position of your brand is... Where's the, where's the white space and 
or better yet, I should say gray space because white space is hard to find. Mm-hmm. White space is a piece of the marketplace that is just has not been really assaulted. Yep. It's very, very tough to find. That We call that uh, the holy grail of marketing because it's, it's also defined as a category killer. Sure. So you define the category, you occupy the category, and you prevent anyone else from being in that category. Sure. And it's normally a combination of price and performance that delivers some kind of value that is not really there in the marketplace, in your geography. Um, but I, um, I prefer to think of, um, uh, of the position uh, as gray space. And what gray space is, it's, I define that as an area that is occupied, mm-hmm. but the companies that are there are just not doing it as well as it could be done. So okay. there's opportunity there. Yeah. Okay. Leverage. Right. So, so this uh, position is very important. Um, th- then you have a, a brand promise, and the promise is really the value that you deliver. You know, so Walmart, for example, delivers. They deliver value in pricing. You're not going to find it cheaper. That's their value. You can choose to go there and shop there, or you can choose to go shop at Coach, where you're not going to get value in pricing, but you're going to get the best. Mm. That's the value they deliver to their sure. audience. So, so far you have position. You know where where should you be to occupy your gray space? You have uh, you have a promise, which is um, uh, which is you know, the value that you deliver in some way to a particular audience. Uh, you have purpose, which is the why of why you're doing it that should shine through. And the last is personality. And that's the voice that you bring. And I'm going to use some examples to show what that means. So you have the insurance in, uh, industry. Probably the most regulated, mundane thing. Everyone hates insurance until, of course, you need it. Mm-hmm. And then it's great. And then it's great, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just got into a car accident. It wasn't even my fault. I wasn't moving. Uh-huh. And it was $11,000 of damage. And I'm happy that I was insured. You know, yeah. I'm, ha- I'm happy for that. So, um, so imagine this. Two extremely uh, gutsy uh, people, though happen to be women, walk into a marginal layered disability insurance company that did most of their business in Japan and said, we're going to make you the biggest layered disability company on earth with a talking duck. Today, Aflac, when you get an Aflac uh, a contract mm-hmm. from your Aflac rep, you get a little squeezed duck, yep. that little furry duck that goes Aflac. Yep. So think about other companies in that, in that realm flow with the progressive Sure. Geico, which decided to sell to or become known for selling to just everybody instead of just government employees. Sure. And someone said, you know, Geico sounds like gecko. Let's have a gecko be mm. our our mascot. Or even Farmers Insurance that uses J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they have their slogan, we are farmers. Yep. Do you know what their slogan is under their logo? Yeah, bump it bump bump bum So, I mean, now you have... This personality that shines through in the brand, Mm -hmm. that means everything. Sure, is a brand a visual symbol? It is, but it's also these other things that go into the emotional aspect of people relying on a certain brand to deliver what they need. 
So now you have you have your strategy, you have your brand. Now you need message. So the message that you're going to deliver to the marketplace. So I talked about um, uh, uh, the fact that that the typical American sees seven eight thousand messages sure. uh, a day. Mm-hmm. So what what I do is I break down messages into four levels: essential, marketing, selling, and technical. The essential message are those five to 10 words that just deliver exactly what you do in a very emotional way so that people understand that you get them. So some of the uh, examples that I would use for that would be, let's take ServePro. Okay, everyone knows what ServePro is. They're a remediation company. You have fire or flood in your office or home and they come and they come and clean it up, right? So and they could have gone to market when they first began as, you know, w- w- we clean up your messes. But instead, they understood that a business or a home is the most important asset to a person. Sure. I mean, it's critical. And that the emotional aspect of having that soiled in a very harsh way w- is kind of gut-wrenching. So they went to market as um, ServePro, like it never happened, and which was brilliant. And basically, sure. they grew to be, I believe, the largest remediation company in the world. I think they're doing five point eight billion now. Now, of course, yeah, ev- it's them and Belfour. Yeah. So eventually, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Belfour's up there too. So eventually, um, you know, you develop market momentum to allow you to buy equipment and people and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you could you could actually develop growth that way. But sure. you have to start in some way. And let's not forget that every major company started in a garage or a basement. You know that's where they started. Mm-hmm. Google, Dell, Dell started in a in a in a dorm room. Apple, garage. Yep. It's it's bronze. The Face, HP, Facebook, Disney, dorm. right? Disney, yeah. Facebook. So um. So uh, it's important to understand that you need that essential message. Another essential message, um, for uh, as an example, is uh, FedEx, when it positively, absolutely has to get there overnight. Now there was no difference between. FedEx and DHL are airborne at the time. Sure. But if you, and they all delivered overnight. But when you, when you had to have it absolutely, positively, they said it twice, you go to FedEx. And by the way, FedEx's original model of if you're sending a letter from Jericho to Plainview, it goes through Nashville. People laughed at that. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, Fred Smith and team proved that model out and it worked. Sure. But they had that essential message, and there are tons of essential messages that companies large and small have that define them. And then it's just a matter of consistency. Marketing message is the thing that breaks through the clutter. It's also referred to as the creative platform. It's the thing that makes people recognize you in that sea of messages that they, that they absorb every day. A selling message is the next step down. And by the way, these messages kind of blend into each other a little bit at the edges. They're not defined. Boom, 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 boom. So a selling message, which can be part of a marketing message, um, is the thing that gets people to trust you. It could be a message. It could be your physical plant. It could be the relationship that they have with a salesperson. It could be the, your logo or the way your website is presented. It could be all, it could be a combination of those things, but it builds trust and allows people to say, I believe that you can do what you say you can do. The technical messaging 
which is how most American companies sell, is all the nuts and bolts. If you're a plumber, you know, you're one of a hundred plumbers that all say I'm bonded and insured. I use PVC and copper, free estimates. It's the same stuff. But by that time, right. By that time, by that time, um, the, uh, a good marketing program will have already convinced a prospect to buy from you. When they get to the technical messaging, they're just checking off the boxes to make sure that they made the right choice. And that's yeah. fine, but you don't lead with that. So that's the messaging aspect. Then you get to the fourth finger, which is creative. Now, creative is super important on two levels. One, the idea and concept that you go to market with is directly related. People people understand innately that that message or that creative is indicative of how much care and attention and professionalism you put into the products and services you deliver. So, and today, everybody wants to be entertained in some way. They want you to be clever. They want to associate themselves with with something that that is that makes people think that is provocative that is funny that is entertaining mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for and that's what creative delivers the other thing that creative delivers is design and here's where a lot of companies fall short and I'm going to use some examples here the reason why a man is handsome or a woman is beautiful from a from a from a facial standpoint even i guess from a body standpoint it's all mathematics. It's symmetry mm-hmm. and ratios of where things are on the face of the body. When Billy Joel writes a hit song, he has an innate understanding that the mathematical frequency of the notes that he puts together sound good together. Yeah, it's all about Da Vinci's Da Vinci's golden rule and ratios. If you it, and it happens in nature too. So mm-hmm. if you cut open a conch shell. And you look at those concentric circles, the ratios between the circles as they get smaller and tighter and tighter are exact. A snowstorm in, where are we, Bayport? Bayport. Bayport. A snowstorm in Bayport, a one-hour snowstorm will dump billions of snowflakes Mm -hmm. on the ground. Each one of them is, is mathematically perfect and different. So it happens in nature. It's, it's all math. So when you design whatever you're going to communicate with, Mm It has to be perfect, or else the brain, not even it. It doesn't you. It's unconscious. Sure. But the brain will just say to itself, "No," or "Yes," yeah. if it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. And today, with so many visual templates out there, and I mean that's the commoditized part of our business. It's easy to be good, and that's hard what to the be great. and it, well, it's hard to be great. Well, you have to take those templates and and put some finesse into them. Sure, sure. But at least you have the foundation of it. Mm-hmm. So it's design and creativity that is very important in that creative. And only when you have these four fingers should you spend dime one in releasing that message out to the marketplace. That's what I deliver. I deliver a program that tries to leverage mm-hmm. all of these based on a certain budget and 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 I think that I leverage the experience that I have in these multidisciplines to do it on a level that someone might not find for the um, for the uh, uh, rates that I that I charge. 
sure. which are very, very low because I have no overhead. That's my model. Mm-hmm. That's my model. And um, it seems to have resonated in the marketplace. Uh, in the last year, I have uh, gained around 25 clients wow. with around 12 or 13 of them active. Mm-hmm. Many, many retainer-based clients who rely on me to quarterback their programs and develop them and quarterback them. And it's fun for me because I love seeing I love seeing breakthrough in sure. the marketplace. Now do you niche down in one category or do you kinda every every new opportunity is a different challenge? So so humans are humans mm-hmm. and they're gonna react to the same emotion in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's either it's it's fear based, it's aspirational based. You know, the fears are, I don't want to die. I don't want my children to think that I'm an oaf. I don't want to, I, I want oaf, my wife. <laughs> well, I don't want my wife, uh, I want my wife or my spouse, I should say, to respect me. I want, I want my, I want the respect of friends and peers. I want these things. Mm-hmm. Aspirational is when you see um, a car ad with a beautiful, uh, beautiful blonde model mm-hmm. And the basic psychology there is if I buy the car, I get the girl. Of course you don't, <laughs> but, do. but it's aspirational sure. and it's psychological. I saw a, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. I saw a Aston Martin ad. It's a beautiful hot chick sitting like, sitting at like a kitchen countertop. And it was something, and it said something along the lines of, even if it's used, do you really care? That's pretty provocative. And I was like, God damn, Aston Martin. All right, I see where you're coming from. You know something? They're Aston Martin. They can do that, I guess. Oh, yeah. You know? um, so, so, yeah, so that's the basic uh-huh. idea. Um, so it's aspirational. It's fear-based. So humans are humans. So to answer your question, over the years, um, I've done business with, I would say, probably, I think I counted it at last at around 1,800 entities over 40 years from divisions of Fortune 500 companies to funded startups and everything in between. Sure. In most any vertical, B2B, B2C, any trade class from wholesale to distribution to retail to direct to manufacturing to nonprofit, I've really done a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm okay if you're okay. And and so a question that someone might ask is, well, do you have experience in my particular industry? Sure. Or do you have someone mm-hmm. or do you have a client in my particular industry? So my answers are different for those two questions. You know, it's really interesting, but um, when someone asks you if you have a conflict, are you doing business with someone else in my industry? The difference between... A conflict and a specialist mm-hmm. is the difference between having two clients in the same business and three. When you have three, you're mm-hmm. a specialist. Yeah. Oh, you know my business. When you have two, oh, you're going to give the other guy the ideas that you were going to give me. Mm-hmm. So it's a fine line. Yeah. So that's And then when someone says, do you have experience in my industry, my, I, I answer the question with a question. I ask, well, is that important to you? And generally it isn't. Mm-hmm. They just feel that that's a question that they need to ask. Yeah. And if it is important to them, mm-hmm. then we could either choose that not to do business or I can convince them that every company is unique into its own right and the differentiation I provide for you is going to be different from your competitor. Sure. Some people will buy into that. Others will not trust that. Sure. 
that that's fine. Not everyone is going to be my client. You know, that's, Any, that's yeah. the way of the world. I mean, anyone who's looking for an organization, for example, is not my client because I cut out all the fat. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's Some very people like that. I, I don't know why they. Well, they pay for it. So if you think about it, most companies of all sizes, even the great companies that you think of, there there's a lot of dysfunction in them. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're run by human beings, and everyone has their own agendas. There's politics, big or small organizations, it sure. doesn't matter. Uh, you're affected by what happens outside of the workplace, mm-hmm. and you're human. Mm-hmm. It's it's understandable. So the communication aspect within an organization it suffers. So when you have a big organization or even a small one, sure. people communicate. They don't communicate right. Things get screwed up, and that overhead. Someone's got to pay for that, and it's typically the client. Now you have a marketing company where you have business people and creative people working on the same account, Mm -hmm. two different sides of the brain, and sometimes it could be chaotic, That and the client pays for it. With me, I'm only talking to myself and my partners who execute, and there's no miscommunication here. Mm -hmm. So that aspect of... That overhead that you would be paying for with a with a company, you don't pay with a single practitioner who really understands their stuff. Mm-hmm. So to answer your original question, I really don't have a specific um, level or a specific vertical or verticals sure. that I that I that I work in. Um, instead, my criteria is around: Have you marketed before? If you haven't, I'm really not interested because I don't want to have to explain to you or educate to you about, educate you on something that should have been part of your line item on your, in your budget, but never was. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's too tough and expectations are just very hard to, to develop in that sense. If you have marketed and the results have not met your expectations, that's a prime candidate for someone like me because I think that I can be more pointed, deliver more value, and just do it better. So I look for that rather than particular industries or even trade classes to deal with. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. And so now are you still – and you mentioned that organization. Are you still involved in that organization? What, the YPO? Yeah. No, I mean I was I was the associate okay. member, so I don't have the criteria. First of all, I'm too old, mm-hmm. thus the word young. <laughs> Young Fair presence enough. organization. So, um, and uh, so, I'm involved in the alternative board, mm-hmm. which you know there are, there are a number of different peer uh, tab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and in full transparency, I ran tabs marketing worldwide for a number of years. Oh, wow. So, um, I believe in it. Sure. Uh, I know that there are other organizations out there, like there's Vistage, mm-hmm. and there's uh, uh, there's the YPO, mm-hmm. and there's EO, and there's um, uh, I forgot the name of it, but Steve Ramarini's organization. I like TAB mm-hmm. because it's a very um, grassroots. Um, it's very grassroots type of situation where you're sitting around discussing issues with eight other business owners who will give you perspective on some of the issues that you're facing as you give them perspective on some of the issues they're facing. And everybody's held accountable to do actions based on that. Sure. And that's unlike any of the other organizations as far as as far as I know. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Tab. I know. I know. I do know Tab. I've no, I'm curious to learn more about it. Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic yeah organization. Yeah, I really know they is. do like disc profiles and stuff like that. Yes. So disc is very important. Um, yeah. If your listeners don't know what that is. D-I-S-C. Yeah, D-I-S-C. So disc disc training is uh, all about com- uh, all about communication styles. Yeah, and personality types. And personality types. So people like to have information delivered to them in certain ways. And they generally fall into these four categories, D-I-S-C. D is direct. You'll see a lot of CEOs who are D. They only want things memoized. Give me just the basic facts. I'm going to make a decision right now. Yep. I is, um, I'm an I, I forgot what it stands for, but I's are very uh, um, uh, garrulous people. Uh, they like they like to converse. Uh, um, they love to, um, uh, just to be with people, to make people laugh. They're, you know, uh, they're very personality-oriented. Right, influence. Um, S is sympathetic. So these are people who don't like to rock the boat. Uh, they're so they don't like confrontation. So you have to deal with them in a very easy way. And C's. And by the way, these also these four blends in different ways. Just like uh, I was talking about the uh, messaging before. They're not they're not cut and dry. And C is uh, these are people who are generally engineer types, and they need all of the information to make a decision. And even then, it's tough for them to make decisions because they think they don't have everything they need. Yes, they're very rule oriented, yep. as our C, uh, as our S's. So anyway, so Rain Rain's Consulting did a survey last year of three point one billion dollars worth of transactions to see why people closed, and ninety percent of the buyers specified that the reason they chose number one over number two was because they made a a true connection from a communication standpoint with that person that sold them. Sure. So yeah, people it, buy from people they like. That's right, and trust. Yeah. So if you understand disc, and you really use it in your in your daily business sure. life, and um, and I can tell you about uh, about how to do that, um, uh, you're three quarters of the way to selling something. Sure. It almost doesn't matter what you're selling. If you communicate in the right way. So um, Ellen Cooper Person, who runs uh, um, uh, Cooper Person Performance, uh, Corporate Performance Consultants, has developed a program. The problem with DISC Mm -hmm. is that you learn DISC, it's a half-day session, and it's very difficult to implement it in your daily business or personal activities. So she has developed something called uh, connect, Connect for... Effective communication. Connect for effective communication, and uh, um, and it's a it's a program. It's a ninety minute program, eight micro lessons that teach people how to use DISC in their mm-hmm. daily activities, and then it includes twelve energizers that uh, that come into your that go to your inbox on a monthly basis. So, um, if you're interested in learning about that, it's connect cpc.com and it's a very interesting program that leverages the best parts of of disk and allows you to use it so when i design websites for example or when i work with my partners to design websites i'm in the mode of keep it simple 
because websites, as an example, I'm using that as an example because it really is your foundation marketing element. Everything emanates to it and from it. Sure. So with with a with a website, you know, websites will never get you business, but they'll cost you business. You have to have it. Yeah. But you want to make it as innocuous as possible. So one way to do that is to design a home page for D's because D's want all the top line information immediately. They're not going to dive deep into the site, but you need that deep dive in the site for all all your S's and C's that need the other information. They need to be influenced. So the... So the most important thing to me with a website is the navigation. It's got to be elegant and intuitive and allow for these four communication styles to leverage what you have in the way that they need to see it. So that's some of the things that, I mean, that's from an executional standpoint, that's what I would deliver that you're probably not going to get from a website designer Mm -hmm. or maybe even a marketing company that that is not giving a full, uh, its full attention to really what's going to drive business over the long term. Sure. Oh, well, very interesting. The, I like that website style. I've never heard of that before. I've heard of, of many different other things. Um, I do, although I would say I would, I would definitely say that you could get business from a website. Definitely need it. <sighs> the idea is that by the time they get to your website, sure. they're already sold. They've, from your marketing. They've gotten some kind of information. Sure. They're just going to your website to make sure that you're legit. So so by, by presenting the information in different ways for the different communication styles, once they get there, you know, that's half the battle. Sure. It really yeah, is. It's getting, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then you have the C's that'll crawl through the whole thing and, and read over every single word. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I, I'm like the cobbler with no shoes because I put up my my website probably two days after I started the business mm-hmm. and kept it to a single page. Mm-hmm. It just is one page with a contact uh, a page. Oh, is it still like that? Yeah, and <laughs> you know, and so I go to my tab board, and part of my 30 day goals that people hold me to is I keep saying I'm going to put up case studies and things like that. Sure. But I've gotten two pieces of business from people that say that this website is perfect the way it is. It's snarky and it's provocative and it's, it's, it's conversational. Sure. It's almost like you're talking sure. to me. I've seen, I saw it a while ago. Yeah. And so, so I don't know if I should add more or not because it gets the conversation going. But, you know, look, all marketing is an experiment. So the idea, and thank God for um, for digital, which allows us to test everything and to pivot very easily and naturally into other things. Um, before, you used to print up an ad, and that was your ad for the month or whatever it was, mm-hmm. or, and then you have to remake the ad again. Now you just change a word or on an email, and you could get different results. So, So this particular website that I did, I don't know if it's the right way to go. Um, part of it is just because I've been so busy that I haven't had a chance. Again, cobbler with no shoes syndrome. But at the same time, there are people out there that are saying, don't do a thing to it. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that because I, I just looked at it and I'm like, you know what? It, do, it, gets, the, it gets the message across. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. Um, Can I add some case studies on? Probably. 
and yeah. and those people that are interested in them, maybe it would persuade them a little bit more to, you know, to check me out. But who knows? Yeah, who knows? yeah. Websites are very strange. You know, there's there's it's big business has done such a great job of creating the the mass need for websites, and it's got to be perfect and this that and the other thing, and it's got to captivate people. And yes, does it all have to? Yes, and is it a, is it a large percentage of the time there to verify that? The company is legit. Yes. Uh, the one thing I find very interesting with websites is people that don't know anything about websites are the first ones to critique websites. And then they're like, well, why is this here? Why is this here? Why is this here? You know, and, and for all valid reasons, but a lot of the time as a website designer or, or developer or writer, there's so many other things that you have to worry about. Is the image going to be found, you know, is the image going to come up on Google and metadata and SEO and keywords and all that kind of stuff. People, you know, I've had people tell me like, oh, there's a lot of writing on this website. I'm like, well, that's because we're trying to rank higher with these different keywords and this, that, and the other thing. And to get that across to people is not the easiest thing in the world. No, no. I mean, the technical aspects are pretty tough. And, um, uh, and, I think there's a lot of validity to what you say. Um, I'm not really interested if people critique. I'm I'm just interested in in selling. Let's just sell some stuff. Sure, that's what I'm sure. interested in. Yep. That's my job. It's my responsibility to to uptick the numbers to provide a platform for people to buy from. And and so you can critique all you want. I really don't care. Sure. You know? So um, and. You know, when I walk into uh, the, the, this used to happen quite a bit, um, especially uh, in my second partnership where we really embraced strategy. You know, we'd walk into a boardroom of a mid-sized company, and I always looked at the CFO because they always thought of marketing people as the antichrist. Yeah, you know, give me money, give me money, give me uh, money. It's, right, and and. You know, this happened to me a couple of times where a CFO or a controller would we'd be in a we'd be in a meeting with top brass of the company, and the CFO would say, "You know something, Andy? You've made me look at this business in a whole different way. I never thought of it the way that you presented it and that you executed it. That was about the best thing that could ever happen to me." It, well, except getting a check, because you always want the check. Cool. But for for a CFO to say that, mm-hmm. it was it, it was it, it, it was incredible. It really was. So the, I I love that. I love being able to have people look at their businesses in different ways, to understand their business, so I can see it in their way, sure. and we together judge the validity of the model vis a vis what else is out there and what people are really looking for. You know, it, that's where you get the cerebral aspects of what a marketing person should deliver into a relationship. Sure. And uh, and that's actually what makes great relationships with companies. You know, my goal as a marketer is to become as important to a company as their lawyer relationship, their attorney relationship, mm-hmm. or their accountant relationship. Sure. Because marketing is the straw that stirs the drink. Sure. It provides the ability to do all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I really I really dug that when that happened with this a couple of times with the CFOs. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh see you know, 
that's that's the one thing that sucks is you know that, that nobody ever thinks about is marketing always costs money and you know or how can i you know how can i market myself better and I'm like well you're gonna spend money i don't want to spend money and i'll tell you what the real attitude there should be is that marketing actually saves you money yes because or makes you money yeah and well it's the same difference and don't forget also so um and this is a really interesting uh thing that people don't think about you sell a dollar mm-hmm. 10 cents falls to the bottom line you save a dollar in cost a dollar falls to the bottom line so you so people should really think about what they're spending say that one more time so it's this is this is pure accounting uh-huh. pure economics sure. you you sell a dollar and on average net profit in the united states is let's say 10%. Mm-hmm. 10% or 10 cents falls to that bottom line in profit. Sure. You save a dollar in cost, a dollar falls down to the bottom mm-hmm. line. Yes. So you always want to try to save costs smartly. Mm-hmm. Think about how much, you know, you guys that are out there listening to this, think about how much you're spending for salespeople or marketing programs that you're doing and are you doing it smartly? Are you are you monitoring your sales force smartly? How are you paying them? From a marketing standpoint, how are you marketing? Do you have these four fingers laid out so that you're really being efficient in the way that you're presenting yourself to the marketplace? And are you measuring? Mm-hmm. Because you can save a ton of money on your sales and marketing effort if you do it correctly. And all of that is gravy. Every, every dime or every dollar that you're saving in your sales and marketing effort is gravy. And by the way, think about how much you're paying a salesperson. A single salesperson, let's say you're paying a salesperson $100,000, okay? That's a good paid salesperson. Well, I mean, a good salesperson should be the mo- should be the best paid person in the organization. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. So let's say you're let's say you're paying them $75,000, sure. okay? So they're making $75,000 and they're going out, they might be going to trade shows and representing you and seeing multiple people over a few day span. They might be going to networking groups, but theoretically most of their time is spent casting a single fishing line sure. out into the marketplace and trying to grab a fish, one fish. Now you think about taking that same $75,000 and putting it towards a marketing program where you're casting a net out to the marketplace. Sure. And you're grabbing as many fish as you can in that net, and maybe you gotta haul the fish onto the boat, that's what the salesperson is there for, yeah. to haul in as many fish yep. as that Just salesperson can from that net. That's an analogy of, of how to look at marketing from a purely economic and efficiency standpoint. You know, so, um, so I look at marketing as a, as a money saver. Mm-hmm. Not a money coster. Sure. That's not a word, coster. Hey, we can make up words. <laughs> In the world today, we can make yeah, up whatever you speak, shit we want. Yeah, you speak more gooder than me. <laughs> so, 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 so that's how I look at it. And you know something? When you explain it to an accountant or, 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 or a CFO, you know, they get it. Sure. I mean, I, you know, one of my clients um, is a really forward-thinking accountant. Mm-hmm. who, um, in fact, our essential message for this accounting firm is uh, uh, called SG&C, uh, is um, not just accountants, opportunity drivers. 
And that's what they are. They are opportunity drivers. That's a good... Well, that's what they do. Yeah. They look at... They don't, they don't look at the trailing indicators. They look at the leading indicators. They are there to ask the tough questions and to give clients ideas. And many accounting firms just are there to protect and do tax work and... And, you know, so, so, um, I've got my, what my point was, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that, um, uh, is that accountants, when you speak to them or CFOs and you speak to them in these terms, mm-hmm. they understand because they're the ones who see on the, on the, on the income statements, how much the line item is for marketing. They're seeing it. Absolutely. The... I like that the accounting the the drivers, but you know the getting people to realize that there's always a benefit in brand recognition and all of that kind of stuff. You know, visibility. You know, the 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 what is six to eight thousand people see see logos every day, and I, and it was funny you said that, and I'm trying to think of like what I see every day, and then I'm like, oh, there's Budweiser right there. There's there's 200 in this room right now. Oh my God, there's there's tequila bottles. You there's Yeti. At... There's there's uh, there's Adidas, a... Asus. Yeah. Um, you have Lowit Alarms right there. Hamilton Watch, Landshark, sure. Budweiser, Montauk, Greenpoint. All those business cards up there. It's think, crazy. Think about how you're driving down, let's say, Montauk Highway here or sure. Old Country Road, sure. and think about how many signs you're scanning. Your brain is absorbing all this stuff. You're listening to the radio, mm-hmm. and you're absorbing things. It's constant. It, it's constant. constant. It's a constant barrage of information. You know, and then and then it's the thought of how do you get yourself to stick out? It's not easy. No, it's absolutely. It's very difficult. The, and then I, I was listening to uh, Grant Cardone's book, The 10X Rule. I don't know if you ever listened to it or read it. Great book. And uh, I, I just, when I was down in North Carolina, I, I listened to it on the way to and from. And they talk, I think they talk about like Coca-Cola in the book. And it was like, how interesting would it be if Coca-Cola didn't put their logos anywhere? And I'm like, nobody would ever drink Coca-Cola. You know, just a red can. That's it. Right. You know? No, no, no more Super Bowl ads. No more nothing. It's just. So what's really interesting, and I'll use because I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce off what you just said. Sure. Is the idea of a brand? If you do it correctly, and I don't care if you're a big company or a small company or big market or small market. If you do it correctly, you create what's called robotic buying, and robotic buying is. You don't need to really put that logo anywhere yeah because people just used to buying it they just buy it yep so you look at nike which eventually took this little piece of garbage that's right so controls your life apple apple it's robotic buying now yeah. they don't even use the word apple anymore they just have their visual symbol yeah. nike <laughs> just has the swoosh yep doesn't even say nike anymore it's robotic buying yep and even in a small market let's say that you were one of these companies that was elevated and dominated sure. a particular segment just by doing that you are creating robotic buying of your product or service in a particular geography sure. people are going to buy from you and trust you because they judge you by the company that that uh, that uh, that they keep, yep. you know, your other clients, mm-hmm. or they're just go, or they're ju- it just they just know that to not put you in the mix is a disservice to their decision making process. Sure, yeah, 
Yeah, robotic body. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the truest thing, and it's truest. I don't even know if that's another word. That is a word. I oh, it is. Yes. Okay. Um, it but, is now. But people just get into the habit of you know, up oh, new iPhone, gotta go get it. Right. Gotta go. It's get robotic. It. Yeah, which blow. The, that is one thing that blows my mind because I'm a technology freak. You know, I ran my company off this for the last week, basically. And now this photo is a little outdated and it's too slow for what I need. But what blows my mind is the people that go out and buy the brand new phone and they literally don't even have anything on it. They have maybe a handful of songs, maybe Pandora, messages, and phone calls. That's it. They don't use it for anything else. Maybe GPS on there. Meanwhile, I got pages and pages and pages of ad, of, uh, of apps on here. And it's just, it's nonstop. No, most people don't use. I mean, I believe that by the year 2020, there'll be 5 million apps in the Google Play Store and uh-huh. 5 million in the Apple App sure. Store. And I believe that the average person has something like 40 apps on their phone and use two. Oh, yeah. It's two crazy. or three. I actually go, I do it every month. I go through and delete all the apps I don't oh, yeah. use. Well, most people don't, though. Which is mind blowing. Not only that, but. Supposedly, there's some heat mapping going on in terms of, in terms of where people's eyes, where you should be placing apps or request apps to be placed on the screen. It's pretty incredible. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I believe it. I, I I do believe it. But I go through every single, at, at least once a month, and go through. I'm like, you know, what could, my phone's slowing down. What can I delete out of it? You know, we'll just it, there's too much shit. What can I delete out of it? Right. And I come, I've come down to the like the the main page. Is the core group of apps that I absolutely use. And yeah, there's me probably a hundred apps on there. Me too. You know, you know, in the technology world, you need it. You know, there's there's so many different things. I use my phone for literally everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it blows my mind that there's these people that they're like, oh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, well, GPS. If you, so if you look at it, that's it. I mean, if you look at it and you're a conspiracy theorist, uh-huh. you know, the, uh, the major carriers have worked with Apple and Android to actually create... Um, they've created programs mm. to allow you to automatically upgrade your phone and keep on upgrading it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, that in itself allows you an easy pathway. Well, I paid $41 last month. I'll pay $41 this month and get a brand new phone. Sure, with, I'm about to go do it this right. this week. I've, I already did it. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I shouldn't say I'm excited. I just, you know, because I've gotten to the point now where a new phone literally doesn't mean anything to me anymore. I just need the horsepower behind it to... to get worked on it's just not fast enough at this point so yeah so getting back to this brand as uh uh brand development so that you robotically buy so i mean take any industry let's take the accounting industry for example so you know that in this marketplace there are some major names that are local they might they might have a now a national presence but they began locally Mm -hmm. and they get clients because of who they are burden markham sure um you know, the list goes on and on. Sure. You know, they get clients because they are the name brands. So that's what what a brand should uh, uh, aspire to. Here's a, you know getting back to plumbers. Mm-hmm. Look what Ray the plumber did. Oh, genius. unbelievable! Genius, and they operated and, out of a tiny right. little house. And he and 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 Ray the plumber is. Uh, and here's another thing, by the way, what he did was very important. It was all consistency. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Even if you falter, stay the course, because it's the it's the companies that stay the course and keep their message and their brand consistent in the marketplace over time 
that win. They mm-hmm. just keep on gathering momentum and recognizability. Sure. And just they're they're just there and there are so many people that won't do that mm-hmm. that for the people that do it, they reap the bounty incredibly. Sure. No, it's Ray the Yeah, they're over in uh what is that, Oakdale? Somewhere over there? Who's that? Ray the Plumber. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't Tiny even know where out. they are, but I see their I see I see their trucks all all over the place, and I know who they are. It's the funniest little building because it's probably a two thousand, maybe a two thousand square foot house, if that. Um, and they're located right on the right on Sunrise Highway. But the one thing that's very interesting about them is, oh, they oh they have another location. Okay, good. Um, but it's they always have Christmas lights on on the house year round. Blue Christmas lights that line that line the roof, and you always, always, always look that damn house. And what is there right in front? A giant logo. Yeah, I mean, you know, they have very bright trucks. It's it's incredible. Look what uh, Optimum did uh, with their trucks. They uh, they painted them all kinds of different colors. Yeah, I think it looks stupid. <laughs> I know, but it. But you looked at it. But uh, you're right. No, you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> I would have liked to see consistency. I didn't necessarily like the white. Um, that like it looks like somebody spilled out Tic Tacs all over the street. As long as you're looking, oh, God, it's absurd. So. It's absurd. Um, you know, like the pay. I mean, whatever. I don't know what you know. You you are looking. It obviously does work, but it's definitely something else. Not for me, for sure. <laughs> but so, do you have Optum or Fi- or FiOS? Uh, right now we have, we have Fios here and Optimum at home. So you have Optimum. Yeah. I hate Optimum, honestly. Do you really? Yeah. The only reason why, the only reason why my, my family, because I live at home, has Optimum is because the TV channels are easier. Oh, I, I like it. I do. Optimum? I just changed from Fios to to Optimum. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't watch TV, so the only thing that matters to me between the two is internet service and Fios. Ten out of ten times is significantly better. Really? Oh my god! It's it's significantly more reliable. They don't throttle. You get what they tell you is exactly what you're going to get. If you pay for 150, 150, you're getting 150, 150. It's you know it doesn't go down. Optimum. I have a goddamn issue at home every at least once a week. Thank God I don't spend that much time there, so I don't. I'm not the one that has to figure it out or go restart the router or whatever it is. Mm. Here, I think the last time we had an issue was when the power went out, mm-hmm. just because there was a lightning storm. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, other than that, maybe I get a hiccup here or there for four seconds, and I, it's not even long enough for me to realize it. Okay. Optimum, consistent issues, always. Okay. Just, oh, God. The other, prime example, the other day, all of a sudden, Optimum just stopped working. And, you know, great marketing because, they're, you know, they're on board. But it, And then you go back and forth. Between, that's a whole other story. But this is the craziest. This is what set me off about Optimum. They wanted to charge us $85 to come to the house to fix it. They wouldn't charge us if we were there, but they give us a five-hour window from like 8 o'clock in the morning to like 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that to – they're like, oh, yeah, we'll be here within this time on a Friday. You know, if you don't show up, we charge you $85. I'm like, so wait, you're going to charge us $85 to fix your broken issue? Blew my mind. You know, all of these companies have their own idiosyncrasies, and you know, I've just I had a distinct issue with FiOS after being their customer for five years. Sure, that uh, they just could not solve. So I just went to Optum, and I just find it, I find the Altis um, 
technology infinitely better. Uh, we don't, I, I don't watch TV, so yeah, it, you know it doesn't matter. Even me. for internet, I mean, I get for less money, I get three hundred, uh, I get three hundred BPS instead yep. of one hundred and fifty. You know, it's been pretty reliable so far. So, so when I had my computer at home, that that monstrosity, I would check regularly because yeah, I was, I was that was when I was in the IT te- IT world, and I check speed test, speed test, speed test, and I would you know be looking you know if the bill says seventy five seventy five, okay, great. All of a sudden, nine o'clock at night. And I got forty forty, you know what's the story here? You know why am I getting? And then I could or I could watch a dip, and they drop it every you know every ten seconds. Did you call them on it? No, because that's why we moved back to Op- mm-hmm. we moved back to FiOS, and then now back to Optimum. But you know they're like, no, we don't we don't throttle it. We're showing that you get seventy five seventy five at the router. You must. What do you have? And then I'd be like, oh, I have a splitter. This that the other thing. I'm like, I know exactly what I should be getting. There's no re- there's no loss in here. Thank you. You're dealing with a very technologically adept person. You can't throw shit at me and, and expect me not to figure it out here. And they're like, no, you're getting this. You know, we're not responsible for anything after that. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Well, you know, Optimum and Fios, they're like Coke and Pepsi. You what know, do you they're just more? They're just going for yep. you know, different parts of the market. Yep. You know? It's uh, Pepsi, the forgotten brother. They didn't market enough. Call him up, Andy. You know something? Um, you know, I, I read this book uh, by Roger Enrico, who was the um, former uh, creative director of BBDNO during the entire during the Cola Wars with Michael Jackson. Sure, he's the guy that actually brought Michael Jackson into 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 Pepsi. Mm-hmm. For years, Pepsi had uh, outstripped Coke internationally. Really, but but you're talking about tenths of a point. Yes, of market share. Yep. The, and at that point, it becomes a pissing contest more than actual meaningful aspects to stakeholders because it really isn't at that yeah. point. They dominate the market. Sure. And, you know, what's the point? Yeah. You know, they have their own problems now with sugar. That's why they're all making water and non-sugar uh, uh, oriented. Yeah. Sugar is awful for you. Yeah. Literally awful for it's you. It's the worst. Uh, I'm going on keto today. Today's day one. Oh, I've been doing keto for four months. Really? Yeah, I dropped 30 pounds. Really? Yeah. How do you like it? Well, I'm totally used to it now. I mean, I don't need bread. Uh, I'll have bread maybe once a week. Really? I, I just don't need it. So, do um, you? Did you drink beer? I don't drink beer. In it. I drink wine and I drink bourbon. Really? You know, that's it. Bourbon doesn't spike the ketones? No. Not really. Really? I'm taking key, uh, keto salts. Okay. All I know is that, you know, whether it spikes the ketones or not, Yeah. you know, I've dr- I've dropped weight. Uh, I don't really, you know, I used to train uh, aerobically a lot. Sure. Because I did a lot of triathlon, uh, um, uh, triathlons. Sure. And, uh, and I ran a lot. But I don't do that anymore because I was injured mm-hmm. so drastically from doing that for so many years. Sure. And so I had to do something. Mm-hmm. And so did you do you log all your food and stuff like no, that? Or no. Well, you just kind of keep. I just track I, of this fits in I, keto. This doesn't fit in keto. I, I know what it is. It's sure. going to be proteins and fats. Yeah. Basically, are going to be keto yep. oriented. Keto is basically the same thing as sugar busters or Atkins. It's all this. It's all the yeah. same stuff. Don't eat processed foods. Don't eat processed sugars. Don't eat. Uh, don't eat heavy carbs. Sure. And you'll lose weight. Yeah. You will. Yeah. And you feel better. Oh yeah, you feel better. You know, no. I've done keto a couple times. My big thing is beer. I love beer. There's nothing better. If you love beer, it's tough to be keto. <sighs> or just drink drink beer once a week. 
Just drink it once a week and make sure it's good beer. Yes, that is that is a valid option. Yeah, the, yeah. The one I like the once a week. The problem is though, once a week, you know, if you're a guy like me who could drink a whole lot of beer, could throw off a whole week. That's my other thing. Like uh, I, ugh. you'll get it. You're a young man. It's called discipline. I'm working on working on the discipline. Yeah, right. The uh, not as easy as I thought it would be. No. Are you still doing any try any? Uh, no. You did Iron Man. You did an Iron Man, right? I did a. Uh, I did uh, two of them. We still got, we got a half hour. You want to talk about Iron Man? I'm kind of curious. If you want to, sure. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. So, um, what made you decide to do an Iron Man? Because it's I can't imagine something you wake up and say, "I'm going to go do all this crazy shit today." So I, I ran, you know, off and on for years, and sometimes I was the only one out of my friends that really ran. Mm-hmm. But I would run five, six miles tops a day and, or a week. No, nah, like a few times a week. Sometimes gotcha. we would go out at midnight to the bars and I'd be running at 10:30 and they'd all be waiting for me to shower up and we'd go out. Uh-huh. So, um what happened is that my wife got involved in the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, sure. which is an unbelievable organization. It's the most mission uh successful charity that I've ever been involved with. Um basically reduced the um the mortality rate for many like childhood leukemias. Sure from 95% down to 10%. I mean, made... That's a pretty significant... It's unbelievable. Yeah. It made uh, a lot of the blood cancer uh, conditions, conditions instead of death sentences sure. that sure. are controllable by meds that they sure. helped develop with some of the major uh, um, learning institutions and laboratories uh, nationwide. Um, so um, so she got involved. That They had a... Uh, a fundraising arm called Team in Training. Mm-hmm. You might have heard of it. And basically people would get together and they'd run races and get donations for running races. So I was training for the um, the Nashville Marathon with my wife and I got injured. Sure. You know, I pulled Not something. Not good, yeah. And, I, and so uh, one of the coaches, a uh, good pal of mine, Dominic Olivero, um, he pulled me aside and he says, you know, you should you should try triathlon. I said, why? And he said, well, you bike. I said, yeah. He goes, you can swim. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you're only affecting, you're affecting different muscle sets. You're not just grinding out a marathon with one set of muscles. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that sounds good. But what he didn't tell me is that it becomes so addictive that you end up, that many people end up elevating the lengths that they do their triathlon so it starts with a sprint mm-hmm. it goes to an olympic it goes to a half iron man and then an iron man and people keep on elevating up until oh, iron man is the peak right of the, and the so iceberg. well there's also ultra iron man which is nuts what's it oh man forget it so look up right, so so by the time you get to iron man you're running a marathon anyway at the end of biking 112 miles and then swimming two and a half miles first so he neglected to tell me that Obsessive personalities like myself would. What on earth? The ultra triathlon must involve more than 2.4 miles of swimming. Yeah. 112 miles of cycling and a full marathon of running. Right. What on earth are these people doing to themselves? Right. Exactly. Three days. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That's freaky. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I started, yeah, so I started doing sprints and then I started doing Olympics 
or maybe the first one I did was an Olympic. An Olympic is a uh, twenty. It's a uh, one point two. No, it's, excuse me. It's a point nine mile swim, a twenty five mile bike ride, approximately, and then a ten k, which is a six point two mile run. And then a half Ironman is one point two mile swim, a fifty six mile bike ride, and a half marathon. And then for a full Ironman, you just double that. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's nuts, but you, you, but you get into the entire lifestyle of it. So, all your friends are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's all you talk about. I mean, you talk about what you're eating that day, how you trained. Uh, you know, you make fun of each other for for taking too long on a training run or something. I mean, it's it's an entire. It's called the multi sport lifestyle. Yeah. And at the time, all of my friends did it. We all hung together and did it. Now, did you develop a whole new group of friends in it, or did a lot of your friends carry over? No, no, I developed a whole group of friends in it. And and I had my other friends, too, who thought that it was amazing that we were all doing that stuff. And for all of us within our our group of people that were doing it, it was like, eh. Yeah. You know? but it's so normal. So what I found out, though, is, and I eventually became a uh, uh, a USA Triathlon uh, certified coach. Oh, wow. And I actually coached athletes uh that were doing iron man and other races um for other charities um and so i did that for a couple of years and i raced a little bit and then i just stopped everything sure and a lot of the people that i coached or that that came after me Uh they're still intensely doing it and it's all they talk about and it's all they post on Facebook. Sure. Is their run or this or that. And what I found out is how insufferable I was when oh, I was really? doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and my kids tell me all the time, yeah, Dad, you were really obnoxious, you know. I can and only I imagine. Could, and I could see that because it's so all-consuming that that's all you really do. Of course. So, um, but I guess you have to in order to do that kind of endurance. You gotta go, you yeah. gotta go head first because if Today, you don't, you're never gonna stick I mean, to my it. wife still still runs. She ran New York last year and she still does her thing, but uh-huh. I, you know, I'll go down to the basement or go to LA Fitness, lift weights. I might get on a bike trainer for a little while. I'll swim a little bit, but sure. that's it. I don't, uh, I just, I just have no time or inclination in my life to go hog wild the way that we used to do it how many years ago was it i did my last i ran my last half marathon i think in 2014 okay i did my last iron man in 2012 my wife is in iron man too sure sure so but uh but i still does iron man no 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 she runs a little bit oh see so having the wife there helped probably oh so she was involved yeah no i take it up yeah well yeah but it was it it was really um demeaning for me because uh i used to be a faster runner than her Uh and a faster swimmer than her Uh and i don't hold a candle to what she does now The, the only thing that she'll never ever touch me on is is cycling because i'm a decent cyclist you know it's one thing I'm I'm still tossed on on how people, I I have got so I've recently got into cycling a little bit not you know nothing compared to probably what you do, but I like to get on the bike. I just don't understand the whole like lean forward type thing. I I get the aerodynamics of it, but like where the hell does the power come from? Oh, okay. So um, when you're leaning forward like on a tri bike, yeah. first of all, the geometry of the bike is totally different than a road bike. Yeah. You're pitched forward, you're over the front wheel. 
what you're trying to do is you're trying to save your large muscles in your legs uh-huh. for the run. Oh. So you're using your hips and you're pushing and you're using your core to actually pedal through. You're not using your, you're trying to spin as much as possible. So to do that, you have to be in a certain position to do that. Holy and that's shit. why you lean over those aero bars uh-huh. and you're leaning forward so much because you're trying to save your legs. <clears throat> For the run. Mm-hmm. And it goes swim, cycle, run? Yeah, any other way and you drowned. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And so, and so, you know, the saying is, is that um, if you say you had a crappy run, uh-huh. you actually had a crappy bike. Because you were because you biked poorly and it didn't prepare you for the run the right way. So now when you ru- so you get off this bicycle and then you run. Yeah. You feel fine then. No. Oh. I don't. Maybe some people do. Oh, because I figure you try to save. Your no, muscles. as a matter of fact, well, so as a matter of fact, um, it's very funny. My wife and I were at the uh, at the beach this summer, hanging out over at West Neck, and we saw a guy who was swimming back and forth. It was towards the end of the season. Sure. Swimming back and forth in the water in front of us. He had a floaty bag on in back of him, which uh-huh. uh, which is, you know, a, a kind of like a signal to people that he's there f- swimming. Yeah. And so I looked back at the cabana at the beach and I saw a tri-bike is sitting there. Oh, and man. I'm saying to myself, oh, this guy's doing a brick. A brick is training for two legs one after the other. Uh-huh. Um, it just gets your endurance ready to do that sure. during a race. Sure. So so this guy, he starts walking up, and I'm wearing an Iron Man hat. Uh-huh. So he comes over to me, and we introdu- and he introduces himself. And I go, you're about to go on a brick, huh? And he says, yep, yep, I am. I said, so uh, how many miles are you going to ride? He goes, I'm going to ride three miles. I just did like a two, mi- or two and a half miles, or a two-mile swim, and I'm going to ride three miles. I go, so when's your race? He said, in a couple of weeks. So he was tapering down for the race. And, tapering uh, down. Yeah, so okay. he's tapering down in his training uh-huh. for the race. So uh, so I taught, So he said, you know, this is my first Ironman. Do you have any, do you have any tips for me? So of course I, I do. So I said, well, what are you trying to do? Because that's the first thing as a coach you would ask. Yeah. What do you, you know, the first thing I ask is how many kids you got? Uh-huh. Does your wife race? Uh-huh. So I'm trying to gauge how much support he would have. Sure, because sure. it's such a time suck. But uh, you know, he was well into his training. So I, so I said, well, what are you trying to do? You're trying to do a certain hour. You're training for a time, and he said, no, nah, I just want to finish. I said, great. If you just want to finish, my advice to you is to walk the first mile. That came from a friend of mine, Vin O'Shaughnessy, who's a good pal of mine, mm-hmm. who's a multi Iron Man. And he he convinced a bunch of us to walk the first mile. Mm-hmm. You get your legs acclimated to that movement, and mm-hmm. then you start to run. Mm-hmm. So if you don't care, now there are some people that really care about their time. They want to do a 12-hour uh, uh, Ironman or something like that. They're not going to walk that first mile. They're, they're going to run it. Yeah. And But they're trained for that. Sure. So they're training to be able to get off the bike and start running. Sure. You know. Yeah, because you're buying that sick. I was moment. never interested in that. No, it's it's difficult. Twelve. That's how long it takes is twelve hours. Oh, mine. Uh, my two Ironmen. I was uh, fourteen and a half and fifteen hours. That's crazy to me. That's a long time of just working out. Yeah, it's a long it's a long training day. <laughs> God damn! You got you got to be shot after it. Yeah. 
I met a I met I met a guy because I work at a bar right around the corner from here on Sundays, and he came in about two weeks ago after the Suffolk County Marathon. And uh, I hate that race. Why? Other than the fact that it clogs up the whole South Shore. It's obnoxious. Most yeah. most races are 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 just obnoxious. Oh yeah, I I don't I don't particularly care for it, but he had an Iron Man shirt on and. Uh, Actually, his reasoning for doing getting an Ironmans is pretty crazy. He was like, yeah, I was going to die. And I was like, what? And he's like, I was like 300 and something pounds, super out of shape, about to become a diabetic. My my wife looked at me, and I'm, she's like, you got to figure out what you're going to do. She And the doctor's like, yeah, you probably could live for a couple more years. Otherwise, you're going to have a heart attack and die at some point. Yeah, so what, so what happens with Ironman training is that you get a lot of ex-alcoholics and ex-drug addicts because sure. what they're doing is they're trading – one compulsion addiction. or addiction for another, mm-hmm. the latter being, of course, much healthier, but it still is an addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, multi-sport is an addiction. There's no doubt about it. You, uh, yeah. You just have to be able to break the pattern. And and that was it. You know, he wasn't even an alcoholic. He just, big dude. And he's like, yeah, I literally just got out one day and just, you know, walked a mile, walked a mile a little faster, started to run a mile, run, you know, now I ran a mile, ran two miles. And just slowly moved his way up. And I'm like, holy shit. And I'm like, what decide, What made you decide to become an Ironman? And he's like, oh, you know, I just figured I was doing that. You know, I started swimming. Did a lot of swimming. Then I started bike- bicycling and did a lot of bicycling. And then, sure enough, I found myself in an Ironman. Like, yeah. That's crazy. I know a guy who works at one of the uh, one, of, well, one of my clients. Mm-hmm. And every year he does the Lake Placid Ironman. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing he does. And I said, well, why do you do that? And he goes, well, that's how I stay in shape. So I train for it. It takes me six months to train for it. The rest of the six months, I'm, you know, I'm staying in shape but not going crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's how I stay in shape. Are there people that run like Ironmans every month? I don't know how often they are. Yeah. I mean, there are people that can do that. I mean, the pros do it. That's absurd. You know, they do it. So, uh, and I know, and there are some, there are some quasi-professionals on the island, some of, some of friends of mine that, that do a lot of races. Now, what's have you ever thought about getting into like the Spartan races no. and the Tough Mudders? No. Well, why? Because I have like zero upper body strength, and you need that. Oh, oh, you're so doing pull ups. It's all lower. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you're swimming, but theoretically, if you're swimming correctly, you're using your hips as opposed to your shoulders as much. Holy shit! There's a lot of Ironmans. Yes. Like it's a, a big lot business. Of it's a big business. How much does it cost to run an Ironman? Generally, it's around, like the fee, probably around three, $400. Oh, it's not bad at all. No. But the training, you got to buy a bike. I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. By the time, your cost is all of a sudden, is a lot. But for them, that's pretty wild. Yeah, and, you know, iron, I mean, triathletes are all into the latest toys that help them run better or, you know, it's a, it's a whole business. It's, it's big time. Wow, there's a lot of going on right now. There's one going on in five days. Yep. Arizona, Cozumel. Yep. Arizona. So what's a 70.3? That's a half. Oh, okay. So it's 140.6 is a full. 140.6 miles. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Seal sprint triathlon. Ah, so that's very interesting. I figured there'd be a lot of crossover between the, the Tough Mudders and the... There might be. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm just... Not interested in. I'm not interested in any of that stuff anymore. You just want to. I'm. I'm cruising. I like it. 
I'm, I'm, my business is, is tight. I'm doing that. I, I live a nice lifestyle. It's mellow, you know. Sure. I work out on my own level, my own pace. Sure. I, you know. That's all you need. Just don't get fat. That's the uh, that's the idea. Well, I'm trying to get the anti-fat now. Right. See, well, you'll get there, but that's my goal. Don't don't be fat. I like it. I like it. We just crushed an hour and 21 minutes. Great. What do you want? Anything you want to say? Shameless plug? Anything like that? No, no plugs. Just you know, um, if you if you're interested in talking to me, uh, it's it's no obligation. Uh, I'm happy to discuss whatever uh, um, stones are in your shoe from a marketing standpoint, and you can make the decision as to whether or not um, uh, you want to continue uh, the discussion with me and maybe do something that might be special in the marketplace. Um, I am reaching a certain threshold of, of clients that I'm taking on. So, uh, but they come and go. Sure. Um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the goal of a good consultant is to get fired. So, because they've done their job. So, uh, if you're interested, you know, let me know. Cool. Awesome. Andy, thanks so much for hanging out with me, man. Pleasure. It was a lot of fun. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I am your host, Harrison Barron. As always, if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button. If you find somebody that might find this interesting or know somebody that you would find this interesting, by all means, please share it with them. Um, you guys can always reach out to me as well through the website. Uh, the website at this point is basically done, just waiting to publish it. Um, I hope all is well with everybody else. And I look forward to doing more shows like this um, and kind of getting a different range of people on there um, who really just share different life perspectives. Kind of what I've always been doing, but um, I haven't been doing them as much as I should be, and I'm about to ramp that up. So get ready. Um, and until then, guys, I love you guys, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye.